Well, on what is probably the most important Friday of the year that we celebrate as Christians, the Speaking for Him podcast, I'm Adam McNutt, alongside the host of the program, Mr. Andrew Gomison. Hello, Adam. It is good to be with you, and it's good to be with you on this Good Friday, because as you said, it is one of the most important Fridays that we as believers celebrate, and it is one of the main reasons that Speaking for Him exists. We exist to preach Christ and Him crucified, and that's what we're going to talk about today on the Speaking for Him podcast through the power of drama, and specifically through um, the power of looking at the uh, events of Good Friday as they unfolded through the eyes of Simon of Cyrene. And we'll hear from him in just a moment. But first, why don't you read for us our quote of the day? Which comes from Mark fifteen twenty one, And they compel one Simon a Cyrene who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander, and Rufus to bear his cross. And that is Mark fifteen twenty one, And this is uh, a man that we don't hear much about in the scriptures. Uh, we have, I think, three or four mentions of him, usually a couple verses long, and a slight indication in the book of Romans that his family... Uh, may have joined the early church. So it is with these parameters in mind um, that this narrative takes place. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Simon of Cyrene. My name is Simon, a common name for a common man. Like my father before me, I've been a blacksmith all my life. He welcomed me into his shop as a young man, and it didn't take me long to become fascinated with the work. I marveled as I watched my father's strong arms pound hot metal, and I loved watching bits, bridles, horseshoes, and many other amazing things take shape because of his skill. My father was my hero, and I see the same wonder in the eyes of my own sons, Alexander and Rufus. I'm not a rich man, but God has always been faithful to provide for my needs. I hope and pray each day that I'm showing my sons by example how important it is to love and serve the one true God. I often share with them the old stories of how God has protected his people, our people. I especially enjoy telling the story of how God delivered the nation of Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. I marvel at how God killed the firstborn of every Egyptian but for the Israelites who had covered their doorposts with lamb's blood, he passed over just as he promised. Because of this, Passover has always been a highlight of my year, and I often told my wife that one day I would like to celebrate in Jerusalem. I knew this would not be easy, as it would take a month or more, it was potentially dangerous, and it would take a great deal of discipline to lay aside the money necessary for such a journey. But finally, when Alexander was 12 and Rufus was 10, I felt that my family was ready to take this once-in-a-lifetime adventure. Six weeks before Passover, we boarded a ship that would take us about halfway. Once we reached the end of its voyage, we would purchase a horse and a wagon and would complete our trip on land. I was surprised how well my boys did, given the fact that this was their first time they had gone more than a few miles from our hometown of Cyrene. When the weather was good, 
which it was for the most part, Alexander and Rufus both enjoyed exploring the deck of our ship. It wasn't the biggest, fanciest thing in the world, but to them it was one of the most amazing things they had ever seen. I loved experiencing each new sight and sound through their eyes. Unfortunately, my wife Martha's journey was not nearly as pleasant. She was sick much of the time and rarely left the cramped living quarters the four of us shared. I was so grateful for my wife. Even though I knew she was not comfortable, she knew how important this was to me, and she never complained. When we got to land, I rented a room in the nearest town and set about looking for transportation to carry us the rest of the way. Alexander and I left Rufus and his mother with our hosts and set out on our important task. It took all day, but when we returned, Alexander and I were both thankful for God's provision. He provided a very gentle yet strong and hard-working horse and a spacious wagon with a mountain of soft hay, which would allow my wife to travel in relative comfort. Yet another opportunity to share with my boys about how God provides for his own. My wife still had her struggles, but the next day as we left, and each day throughout the final three weeks of our journey, I could tell she felt much better and more comfortable on land. It made my heart glad. When I woke on the last morning, I was so excited. The dream that had been in my heart for so long was about to come true. I was anticipating a truly life-changing experience. What an understatement that would turn out to be. My wife still was not feeling well, so the decision was made that she would stay where we were lodging, about an hour away from Jerusalem, and I would take our sons with me to sacrifice the lamb that I would purchase upon arriving in the city. After offering my morning prayer of thanksgiving to God for safety and deliverance to our final destination, I woke the boys. I knew the city would be busy, so I, I told them to stay close to each other. And to me, I didn't want to lose them in the crowd. I wasn't prepared for the scene that met us as we approached the city. There were people everywhere. And that was not surprising. I, I knew that hundreds of people came to Jerusalem every year to celebrate Passover. However, as we entered the city, before I could even utter the words, stay close, we were engulfed in a powerful mob. It took all of my strength to pull my boys to me so they wouldn't be swept away in the mass of people that surrounded us. We never made it to the temple. What a blessing to look back and realize that the events to follow made that unnecessary. Without warning, the world began to spin in slow motion. It took me a while to process what I was seeing. I saw the Roman governor, Pilate, speaking to the people. I remember him saying, Shall I crucify your king? Then I heard his words that Jesus had done nothing wrong. I didn't know much about him, but I knew from certain people traveling through on business that Jesus was a teacher known for his wisdom, for great miracles and love for others.
as I looked at the torn and beaten man of whom Pilate spoke. I sensed immediately that Pilate was right. The stark contrast between the meek, silent Jesus and the rough, sneering murderer Barabbas who stood opposite him was unmistakable. My first instinct was to turn around and leave. I didn't want to be there myself, and I certainly didn't want to expose my sons to the violence they were witnessing. Unfortunately, the crowd was too massive and, and too riled up for escape to be even possible. I felt hopeless as I watched the surly Barabbas, who was a well-known criminal, be released at the request of the people. I saw the fire in his eyes and heard the pure evil in his raspy cackle. Meanwhile, Jesus simply stood there silent. He was covered in blood. It seemed to be everywhere. I'll never forget the crown of thorns, which was firmly planted on his brow, standing as a blatant mockery of his claim to be the king of the Jews. I stood in amazement as Pilate washed his hands and told the people that he was innocent of Jesus' blood and bound him over to be crucified. Some people were crying, but most of the people, provoked by the religious leaders, were willing to take responsibility for this act. His blood be on us and on our children, they cried. My mind immediately flashed back to the Passover meal we had shared the night before. I thought of the words of Moses that we had recited together. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Could what I was witnessing right now be fulfillment of that? Was Jesus of Nazareth our long-awaited Messiah? I wasn't sure at that point, but I knew something significant was happening. As I was standing there in shock, not sure what to do, a strong harm seized my shoulder in a vice grip. Naturally, I resisted, but as I turned and looked into the face of a Roman soldier ready to draw his sword... I realized that such efforts would be futile. You! The Nazarene is too weak to carry his cross. Help him now! I looked over and realized that Jesus was on his knees, staggering under the weight of the crossbeam that was even now slipping from his shoulders. I flashed a look to my sons and bent to assume most of the weight of the roughly hewn wooden cross. Some of his blood hung to the cross where he had carried it, and now was dripping on me. I looked over into those kindly eyes, which even in the midst of his suffering seemed to speak to me of his love. After a few feet he fell again, and I took up the cross myself as two Roman soldiers grabbed him and 
half-carried, half-dragged him up the mountain. I couldn't believe what was happening. There was no way I could have anticipated this when I rose early that morning. I would have rather been anywhere else but where I was. I remember praying and asking God for wisdom and strength and, and even forgiveness because I knew in my heart of hearts there was something very wrong going on here. When we reached the summit of Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they took the cross from my shoulders and nailed him to it. I couldn't help but notice that the man who had been silent during his death sentence was now crying out, Yet it wasn't the cry of an innocent man wrongly convicted and begging for mercy. Instead, it was a cry of love and a request for his father to forgive them. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. They had beaten him, mocked him, and now were draining his remaining lifeblood through the barbaric torture of the cross. Even though these men were experts in their field, he, he kept saying they didn't know what they were doing. I've never heard anything like this before in my life. For the next six hours, all I could do was stand transfixed as I watched Jesus, showing love and caring for others even on the cross. I watched him send his mother Mary home with the only disciple that had been brave enough to stay by his side, the Apostle John. He said a few other things as well, but the two that stick most closely in my mind are his interaction with the thief on another cross where he gave him the promise of paradise and then his final declaration, it is finished. It was at that point that I realized he was indeed the Messiah. I don't know how long I had been standing there before I felt the hands of my sons grip mine. They were both weeping. They'd been scared not only of the violent acts that they'd seen this day, but also the earthquake and the darkness that resulted. I wished with everything in me that I could have shielded them, there was nothing I could have done. As I walked them back to the wagon at the end of the day, I explained to them that I believed we had witnessed the death of the Messiah. It was very confusing because it didn't seem like the victorious ending that we would have hoped for. But as I lay in bed that night, I thought of the words of the prophet Isaiah about how the one would come to bear our sins. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, 
and with his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Because of the length of our trip, we were planning to spend a little over a month outside of Jerusalem before we headed back to Cyrene. I was glad. The next few days passed slowly as I constantly replayed the images of my experience in my head and asked God to clarify it and to help me, to help me help my sons deal with it all. I started taking daily trips into Jerusalem to be alone with my thoughts, and I found some temporary work assisting the local blacksmith. One day a couple of men came in with news that the disciples were saying Jesus had risen. I wasn't sure what to think. I had watched him die. Sure enough, though, two weeks later, I recognized John hurrying through the town, and I offered him my condolences. And he said they weren't necessary. He went on to excitedly relate that Jesus was alive, a story I had heard once already, but, but could it be true? I had my doubts, but I kept them to myself. And then, one week later, I was among a group of 500 people who, who actually saw Jesus alive. My wife and my sons were there, too. After we returned to Cyrene and, and told as many people as we could about the risen Lord, we made the decision to return to Jerusalem to live so that we could learn from the disciples and grow in our faith. It's been exciting to watch the church grow. And as I near my death, I'm gratified to know that my salvation was paid for on the cross and that heaven awaits. It's also encouraging to me that my wife and my sons have a strong and supportive church family in Rome where we relocated due to persecution in Jerusalem, a church family that will care for them in my absence. Looking back, it's hard to believe we're here but Jesus did say that we would be his witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm ready to receive my eternal reward and to hear God say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I know that I will see my family again because he lives. I hope and pray that you have this hope as well and my friends that is the events of good friday as they unfolded through the eyes of simon of cyrene 
And just as Simon said at the end there, it is my hope that you have experienced a relationship with the risen Christ. If you haven't, all the rest of life is vain and not worth living. So I would encourage you this Good Friday and through this Easter weekend to make the decision to follow Christ. What a better way, there's no better way to celebrate Resurrection Day than through a personal resurrection to new life in Jesus Christ. Uh, Speaking for him exists because he lives. He is risen. And so it is with great confidence that I can say to you, have a great weekend and keep serving the best of masters.